0: What I care about isn't that Bitcoin succeeds or that Ethereum succeeds or that any specific projects succeed. What I care about is separating money from state, the entire financial system being built on market principles instead of coercion.
1: Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Compass Mining. And you know what? They are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for three months now. I've already paid off one of my S19s, and I'm close to paying off the second one. It is so good to be back mining. And you know what? I just really love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do everything else for you. If you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-G.io. Next up is BlockFi, and you can now earn a $250 bonus in Bitcoin when you sign up with BlockFi, as they have recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. Now for people in the US who own or are interested in earning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the Block 5 Rewards Credit Card is the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase, and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack stats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can also earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase, over $50,000 of annual spend, and you can also get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. But please do make sure you check out the terms for this. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter which is blockf forward slash P-E-T-E-R. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since way back in early 2017. And the Nano S I bought back then, yep, I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I've not sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market. And you know what? I just don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I'm a hodler. You're a hodler, right? Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash W-B-D. Right. Hi, Alex. How are you, mate?
2: I'm great. Thank you Thank you for having me, Peter.
1: No, anytime. And uh, uh, always happy to have my friends on. So it's great to have Eric here as well. Um, another person I love talking to about a range of subjects. How are you, Eric? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Uh I think this might be a little bit similar to what we did with Dan Held recently, which I thought was uh that was quite a productive chat. I I got a lot out of it anyway, and got got a yeah. lot of good feedback and the yeah. I think we split the crowd. You get half the people who think it's a good chat, and then twenty-five percent who think uh I disagree with you, Eric. Twenty-five percent of people disagreed with Dan and a handful think mm-hmm. I'm a moron. But uh it's good to get you two together because um Uh, I spoke very briefly about this to Alex in advance because I was tagged in a post and always happy to host my friends. And uh, Alex, the one thing he said to me is there is a lot you guys agree on. Um, So whilst we're bound to get into the world of tokens and other protocols, uh, there is a lot you agree on as well. So I feel like that's a good starting point. Uh, I'm going to give the floor to Alex to, to kick off. Uh, And then I'm going to hand it over to you, Eric, if that's okay. But uh, seeing as Alex uh, dropped me a little text and said, listen, there's a lot me and Eric agree on, I think that's probably a good starting point. So floor to you, Alex.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to make any assumptions, but I can only uh, assume based on what you've said over the years, Eric, that, um, that we agree that freedom is paramount and that it is likely that we are going to slip into a a future of centralized control uh, as our societies become more electronic and that things like central bank digital currencies represent a grave threat to individuals and that Bitcoin represents hope in many ways to have money that's not controlled by governments or corporations that's sovereign and that allows people to be their own bank and allows us to fight uh, debasement of currency as well as confiscation and censorship. So I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I'm very excited about the Bitcoin revolution. And I would be a lot less optimistic about the future if Bitcoin hadn't been created. And I think that the fiat system, or as Alan Farrington calls it, the degenerate fiat uh, system, is um, has a lot of flaws that the average person doesn't uh, maybe appreciate. And I've been digging into that with my own essays and research. But, you know, the dollar system uh, has led to a lot of, honestly, just there's a lot of death and destruction involved with it. There's a lot of waste. Um, and there's just this insane financialization that has happened to our world, which which doesn't have to happen, in, I believe, in a society of sound money. Um, so I think that's where I'll start. And, and, you know, I imagine Eric agrees with quite a bit of that
0: yeah, i I guess I would point to that poster on your wall, separation of money and state. Um, that that was the name of my blog from years ago. the The entire reason that I'm into this stuff, the entire reason that I fell in love with Bitcoin is um, is not to make like transactions more efficient. Um, and I'm not an engineer, so I can't really appreciate the technology as much as some people do. I'm in this really for one reason which is to separate money from state and to do that without the permission of the state to do that without the permission of voters to simply build and build and build until the alternative is so good that the world ends up switching. So um yeah all that stuff that you said you know that is that is inspirational to me that's what i care about and um i'm i'm glad that there are so many people you know like you that are fighting this fight uh, alongside. So yeah, thank you for that introduction.
2: And, yeah, uh, and like everything after this, where we will disagree, at least we agree on that, and that's honestly the that's the most important thing I think moving forward. Um, go ahead, Peter. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah,
1: and you're you're two people I've I've learned a lot from uh, regularly being guests on my shows. I've hung out with both of you. I consider you both friends, Eric. I've learned a lot of from you about libertarian ideas. We've made three or four podcasts where we've uh, shared, a, uh, well, you shared ideas with me. One thing I you said that I've repeatedly used is this idea that you said, uh, rather than getting rid of government, let's just make them smaller. Let's start with 1% or 5% because they never are. And I, I've often <laughs> e- echoed that point and uh, uh, referred that back to you. And Alex, I've learned so much from you about uh, the problem with authoritarian, uh, authoritarian countries around the world. I've been to the Human Rights Foundation a few times with you. We've shared a number of ideas. So I've, I've learned a lot from both of you I consider you both friends, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I think there's like a whole number of things we can get into. We can talk about Bitcoin, which we're broadly all going to, going to agree on. There are alternative protocols, which we may discuss. There are alternative cryptocurrencies. There are meme coins. There are stable coins. There's like a whole plethora of different things that are happening. Uh, you can add probably CBDCs into that, and even fiat currencies. Uh, we're in what uh, Balaji uh, told me is a time of currency wars. Which itself is both scary and super interesting. So I just think of uh, a starting point for this is at. I'm going to go to you first, Eric. You started out as a predominant, uh, a prominent Bitcoin Bitcoiner. Um, when I've been back to the old uh, posts on the uh, Bitcoin Talk for- forums, and you get back to things in 2010, 2011, I've seen you there in the conversations. It's it's really fascinating when you see Satoshi and yourself and Peter Todd and all these names, which I've got to know over the years, all they're discussing Bitcoin in the early days. But it, it might be a good s- setup for you to talk about your kind of road into Bitcoin. What was your eureka moment in it because you were there so early. And then uh, then you started Shapeshift, which was a product I used early on. Um, I used to buy, I used to convert Bitcoin into EOS and you know, this token into that token before I knew it, it was even you. you you moved into a world where you supported multiple currencies and you've continued to do that and it's something you've even you know you've tried to edge me towards and trying to uh, explain to me why you think there will be a, a world of more cryptocurrencies and why I should share so do you want to you want to set yourself up with that yeah
0: yeah um I was I was definitely a maximalist in the beginning uh, you know like back in 2011 2012 um, Every other cryptocurrency was uh, really like a clone of Bitcoin with a few variables tweaked. You know, Litecoin being the obvious example. Um, and Bitcoin was probably 95 or 99% of the market cap and the value and the transactions and, and everything. And I was, uh, I was annoyed with <laughs> these altcoins that they existed. I, I found it um, obnoxious at best. And I thought a lot of them were, you know, distracting from like the core project and what we should care about. Um, the, you know, the Austrian economics theorem that money coalesces into one predominant form I think is um, is valid. And back then, I thought that that was a very strong force. And and so, why are all these altcoins here? Um, and certainly, you know, plenty of them were were just outright scams. Um. But my opinion has changed, you know, this is like one of the major things that I've changed my mind about since getting involved with Bitcoin back in 2011. And the reason it has changed is because um, I see that many of these different assets are not just clones of Bitcoin with some variables tweaked. It's not 2014 anymore, where like Litecoin is the the predominant altcoin. Um, These systems have gotten very advanced in different directions and some of them are not trying to be currencies at all. What they all have in common is that they're trying to like decentralize control over value, finance, and governance. And I think this is a broad and important category. Um, and I think that if you believe in decentralization, and if you believe in a world with fewer gatekeepers, and if you believe in truly separating money and state, then this entire, you know, panoply of different assets building in different directions with different development teams and different trade-offs is a much more resilient, much more anti-fragile, and much more decentralized world. So, um, this doesn't mean that I think every project is valuable. Like, the majority of them are are stupid. Uh, Many of them are outright scams. But, uh, you know, a couple dozen are really, really valuable and really important. And so, this is why I, I no longer consider myself a maximalist. And uh, I think Bitcoin is stronger uh, amidst similar technologies that are doing slightly different things.
1: And I think what we could do is kind of work through some of the categories as well, because I think that'll be helpful helpful for people to understand. And and just for the context of why I'm doing this, because it is still a Bitcoin show. I'm still only a Bitcoin holder. Uh, I have no interest in other ones. But I my show isn't just listened to by a listened to by Maxis. It's listened to by people who are interested in other cryptocurrencies. They email me all the time. They try and convince me as well. So I'm always happy to do this because I think if they can learn something from it's great. Um, I'm looking at uh, the Shapeshift website, Eric. It says there's 750 uh, cryptocurrencies supported across 11 blockchains. Uh, You just said then a couple of dozen of valuable ones. How does Shapeshift make a decision about which ones to accept. And do they even, would you even consider some of the ones they get on there, you would also consider them not really, that maybe shouldn't be? I mean, I've been a bit disappointed with the way, say, for example, Coinbase has selected their coins.
0: Yeah, I've been a little disgusted with their promotion of Shiba Inu, as as many as mm-hmm. others have. Um, look, I think there's, there's a large amount of coins which are outright scams, uh, right? And I define that as um, people who have no sincere or genuine interest in building a decentralized platform of any kind. they're simply promoting something to make a bunch of money, and they they plan and will disappear with it. and there's nothing there, right? It's all sizzle, no stake. Um, and there are plenty of those. And then there's a lot of projects which are, you know, genuine attempts, like people that believe in what they're doing, but they're just foolish, right? they're They're gonna fail. They're misdesigned. They're not really providing any value to anyone. Um, Maybe there's 20 of them and only one of them can do it. So that's a different category. Like those are not scams, but they're not something that I would want to own because I think they'll fail. Um, And then there are projects which are both genuine and have a decent chance of actually providing value to people. Um, And then there are a couple projects which have, I would say, achieved... um, that have proven that they are here to stay and that have succeeded. I would put two coins in that category: Bitcoin and Ethereum. They have gone beyond uh, an attempt at success, and they have both achieved massive success. So, those four categories, um, I think, is how I would I would look at it.
1: Okay, great. I think I think they're good categories uh, to work with, uh, Alex. I'm going to move over to you just before we get into some of maybe your criticisms. Or your critique of altcoins, just mm-hmm. just as a setup, uh, it's probably helpful for people to listening. I know a lot of people know you, but just as a reminder, like why Bitcoin is so important to you, especially with your work, your kind of eureka moment with everything you do with the Human Rights Foundation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, originally, I got into Bitcoin because I saw a human rights activists using it, and I think I had a a superficial understanding at first. I was like, oh, cool, you can do censorship-resistant payments that are private. And that was my original kind of uh, perspective. I was like, oh, that would be very helpful for all these people who live under authoritarian regimes. Um, It took me a while, years, I think, of just discussing, reading, learning, being a student, to understand that those are kind of um, secondary, almost, uh, features of Bitcoin. And that the most important part of Bitcoin is that it has a monetary policy Uh, that no one can control or modify. Um, And that is what really distinguishes it in my book. That is what makes it a revolution, is to have money that cannot be debased uh, by a bureaucrat or by a bunch of bureaucrats or whatever. And from there flows an incredible amount of value for human beings, which include the ability to have, hopefully in the future, anonymous uh, digital cash transactions, which include lightning network and being able to send value instantly around the world, which include being able to build all kinds of things on top of that. But the very, very foundation, which took me years to appreciate, uh, was that really this is about the creation of money and who controls the creation of money. And then from there, I started learning about the history of money. And I started interviewing people in different countries about their money and their currency and what happened in North Korea, what happened in Eritrea and what happened in Cuba. And you start seeing patterns around the world that aren't taught in economic uh, textbooks. I mean, you don't learn really about the Cuban financial system in an economic history- textbook. You don't learn about these things, but you start realizing they're like just rug pulls. <laughs> like, like at the end of the day, it's like hard money and there's soft money. And the governments have figured out ways to print the soft money for the people and take the hard money for themselves. That's like a very, very, you know, general over generalization of it. But, across countless countries and decades and centuries, this is essentially what's been happening. And it happened in our country. The United States government demonetized gold, first domestically and then internationally, and it got rid of gold out of the monetary system and it replaced it with, with our own debt. I mean, this is something I've been fascinated by more recently. Yeah, definitely and it, the it,
0: biggest drug it, pull ever.
2: Yeah, and, it, it, you know, Nixon defaulted on 50 billion promises to pay dollars for gold. And all of those countries were like, uh, okay, I guess we have paper now. And and that was the biggest rug pull ever. And everything's just sort of downstream from that. So my appreciation, without having any background in Austrian economics or any of that stuff, I came to it from a practical understanding, brick by brick, of just kind of interviewing and, and, and learning through my own networks and backgrounds in the human rights space based on authoritarian governments. But then I started to realize that it, it's one big network. It's one big exploitative system. Um, and that's why... I have questions, and, and why I challenge some of these other crypto networks because I see the same power dynamics start to emerge there too, and and that's why I I I, I don't classify myself as a libertarian. I, I maybe more of a classic liberal, but I I I I, um, I see corporations as just not maybe not just as bad. Uh, they don't have armies, so I won't I won't get too carried away. But um, I think it's about sovereignty, not just being anti-state. I, I think that like corporations can can end up controlling you too. In fact, in many countries, in many developing countries, foreign corporations have more power than local government, right? So I think it's about how do we build a future where we can protect ourselves from both corporations and governments. And for me, that's, that's Bitcoin. Because I, I like analyzing the governance models. And I like looking at these other crypto networks from a from a political science point of view. I think it's really illuminating. I mean, I re- I mean I'll mean, i give a comic example. And then, of course, I mean, Ethereum is the the big one where we'll, we'll have these nuanced debates. But, like, when EOS was, like, first launching, right, they, had, they basically had these, like, block producers and, you know, they ended up seizing all of them under the control of, like, one party. And it, it reminded me of a coup d'etat in political science, right? So you, you start to see how in these different token networks and... Um, you start to see how the sausage is made and you look behind the scenes and you start to look at things like pre-mines and you start to look at things like proof of stake and you start to see a lot of things that concern me. So that's kind of where I hope to to explore that area here with Eric uh, in terms of, we'll call it the political science of of blockchains. Um, The second thing I wanna explore is like uh, proof of work versus proof of stake in the future. Like what happens as these networks get more valuable what what does that mean for the individual participant and then the third thing i was hoping to think about was like in the macroeconomic climate how does eric feel about um like if bitcoin's going to end up eating like gold and real estate and a lot of the store value of a lot of the things in our world why well why wouldn't it eat some of crypto too right so so these are you know a lot of people say well bitcoin can't possibly grow as much as the other crypto i'm not so sure about that um if we think that Bitcoin is gravity and it just pulls things towards it in the long term. So, Peter, I hope that uh, helps lay the groundwork for some things that I I hope to dive into uh, in, in any order, <laughs> really.
1: So I think um, a good starting point will be Ethereum because, it, uh, I mean, different people argue different things. But in some measures, it is the second most credible cryptocurrency uh, in that uh It survived six years. The argument that, oh, you're going to be rug pulled next year and lose all your money, it doesn't seem to stand up. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Ethereum, uh, but one of the things I've quite tried to question myself with these things is what is it I'm against and what is it I want to happen? Um, uh, So I'm kind of okay with these things existing anymore, but my goal is normally just to try and advise people of what they are, what they mean, what they stand for, what the risks are. But for you, Alex if you think about Ethereum and if it's something you're going to talk about and discuss with other people, what, it, what is it that's important to you with Ethereum that you want to communicate to people and what is it you want to see happen?
2: Well, I, I think, again, just building on what I said earlier, mm. I, I'm interested in who controls it and, and who are the participants and stakeholders. Because I view proof of work as this incredible innovation that helps us separate money from state and I I've been watching the Ethereum community try and move this project, which I would agree with Eric clearly has succeeded on its own terms in terms of growth and spawning all kinds of projects. Moving to this new consensus mechanism um, is concerning to me in a lot of ways. And I, I like to think, and I'm fascinated to hear what Eric thinks about this, but you know clearly it's given rise to th- through the create the ability to create stable coins and the ability to leverage and the ability to financialize outside of the existing financial system, this massive uh, DeFi ecosystem. And I, I'm trying to look at the DeFi ecosystem with something called the hierarchy of money, right? So we have in the hierarchy of money, we, we would normally have like, at least, you know, in the gold standard, you'd have gold at the top and then you'd have currency, uh, which would be like fiat currency. And then you'd have, you know, commercial bank deposits and then you'd have credit, right? You'd have this hierarchy of money. So I'm trying to look at DeFi and I'm trying to look at it, like what is the hierarchy of money in DeFi? And how stable is that? Like what happens if there's like a system shock? Um, where, where, where does the money go? Because usually the money goes up, right? It goes up the hierarchy when, when there's shocks, right? And I, I, I feel like over time, uh, this system will have a major crash of some kind. And I feel like people are gonna get hurt and um, I know that that's speculative, of course, but it just seems to be baked into the way it's built that it's just getting increasingly levered up, and that reminds me a lot of what scared me the most about the legacy financial system. So I'm, I, yeah, I would love to hear Eric talk about that. I mean, what, what are what are his concern, what are your you know thoughts around that?
1: Well, there's a couple of main points there. Should we Let's deal with uh, proof of stake first. Uh, and I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on proof of stake, Eric, and whether you have any concerns. Because one of the primary arguments against proof of stake is that it is rebuilding the current legacy system where the rich get richer. And uh, yeah, one of, as Alex said, proof of work is creates that unforgeable costliness. Is proof of stake something you support? Or actually, do you prefer Ethereum outside of that? Where do you stand on that?
0: Good question. Okay. Um, so, back to fundamentals and first principles here. What I cared so much and care so much about with Bitcoin is that it is purely market-based. There is no coercion in it. And all the success and growth that it can achieve comes about without coercion. Um, I, I do happily call myself a libertarian. Uh, and my primary moral principle is that things which are um, anything done between two consenting adults, which uh, is mutual or voluntary, is okay. And um, that's how markets form. so when i when I hear things like allegations against some of these other crypto networks, things like how the the rich get richer or like how a certain you know proof of stake system is not as good as Bitcoin. Um, and is just recreating the old system. Um, that doesn't hold a lot of water with me because the old system is based on coercion. There's nothing in Ethereum that is based on coercion, period, right? It is a market-based technology. And you can say that it's inferior to Bitcoin in any number of ways, but it's not coercive. So I think you know both both Ethereum and any other digital asset, to the degree it is a peaceful market-based activity um, it is already, in order of magnitude, you know, more legitimate than the traditional system. Um, in terms of whether proof-of-stake is, is superior or not, I don't know. I think it is different. I think it is riskier. I don't want Bitcoin to move to a proof-of-stake system. Um, I think Ethereum might destroy itself by moving to a proof-of-stake system. But I also think it might work. And then you're going to end up with these two blockchains that have different fundamental structures and how they achieve consensus to me that looks like decentralization to me that looks like anti-fragility i would much rather there be two systems with fundamental different um you know building blocks because i feel like we need to have a little bit of humility over how this technology will work in the very very long term none of us really know i think it is somewhat arrogant to to assume that every every rule or specification set by Satoshi in the beginning is the optimal way to do it. Maybe it is, but I wanna have humility about that. And what I care about isn't that Bitcoin succeeds or that Ethereum succeeds or that any specific project succeed. What I care about is separating money from state, the entire financial system being built on market principles instead of coercion. And so I I like the experimentation. Um, I also think, you know, like a lot of Bitcoiners understand Bitcoin from like an adversarial defensive posture where they see uh, threats everywhere, understandably so, and they want to think over the very long term, you know, 100 years, will Bitcoin stand up to those threats? Super important thinking. Um, I think there's a decent chance that when when the environment becomes super adversarial with governments, one of Bitcoin's potential weaknesses is the physical footprint of mining farms, right? I don't care about the ESG stuff. I don't care about the energy usage. I think it's a very valuable and important use of energy. But from an adversarial perspective, the governments of the world could find 80% of the mining hash rate if they really wanted to and and destroy it. Um, Doesn't mean they will. And it doesn't mean that Bitcoin couldn't route around that somehow, but it is a risk, right? And if the goal is is truly replacing fiat and banks and governments with these decentralized systems and, and market based money, I think you have to acknowledge that that proof of work with physical mining is a risk. Proof of stake can move around the world much more easily. There's no physical footprint, and proof of stake has uh, its own risks, right? I think it it has risks in. Um, coalitions it has risks in concentrations of power that proof of work doesn't have in the same way so i'm not saying it's like a panacea and i'm not saying it's better i'm just saying it's different and it's worth the experimentation
1: um i'm gonna have another question a couple of questions before i pass over to alex in terms of how these uh systems protocols work how would you define a coercion within a a protocol because we understand what government coercion is but I did a long interview with Lane Rettick, who was part of the Ethereum Foundation, and there were things said on camera and things talked about afterwards, which certainly felt like there were arguments that, you could make arguments that there's coercion within the Ethereum Foundation. Like, how would you define, what would you class as coercion here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty high standard of coercion. It's It's basically like physical violence, or the threat of physical violence, or um, or theft or breach of contract. Like those, those categories of things I call coercive. Um, what's not coercive is like if you're part of an open source software project, and the majority in that project wants to do something and you don't, and so the project goes in a direction that you didn't want it to go in. That's not coercion, that's called market forces. Um, so I, you know, people, I think often will ascribe the word coercion to, to just things that are inconvenient or unpleasant or that, or that feel like they harm them or that lost the money. That's not coercion. Um, I, I reserve that for more, more intense interventions.
1: So perhaps some of the things I discussed with Lane, perhaps in the area of a little more uncomfortable, uh, and Alex, do you want to, do you want to reply to that before we deal with the DeFi thing? Cause yeah. they feel like big separate topics.
2: Yeah. No, let me let me reply to the coercion and then the mining piece. I think are both important points. Um, so, I think that um, there, I would agree that there's no coercion in Bitcoin, and I, but that was a hard that's a hard won feature of the system. I mean, it was not clear that that was going to be the case. I mean, you had the majority of all the miners try to change the system in 2017, and they they failed because the system was able to resist. Right? I mean. In Ethereum, um, I, 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 I would disagree. So I, I think there is coercion. You say breach of contract. I mean, no one knows how much ETH is going to be printed in two years and three years and four years. Nobody. Nobody has any idea. Uh, you talk to the lead engineers. They're going to figure it out. Like, they're basically going to do their best to figure it out. And that's going to result in, again, a handful of people making monetary policy decisions for everybody else. And I, I think that's going to result in absolutely coercion. Um, I agree that, like, probably most people want to move to proof of stake within that community so that the obviously the miners don't. But, um, you know, there's there's certainly a minority that doesn't want to go. They're going to have to go. Um, now, if you want to say that that's democratic. Fine. Again, I'm not a strict libertarian. I want to leave room for progressive ideas, but like. It's certainly coercing some people that don't want to move to proof of stake. So I I, I think there is coercion in Ethereum for sure, and and to a much greater extent in the other coins, where there can just be arbitrary freezing and and confiscation and theft. Um, As far as the mining piece, I also wanted to hit that. Uh, It just, I mean, what you described literally just happened. Like the world's largest government literally just forcibly turned off We could see this more than half of all the mining equipment in the world in a matter of days. And we saw the Bitcoin hash rate just absolutely plummet about 55%. Um, And Bitcoin was able to survive because we live in a geopolitically rivalrous world where not all governments are in agreement. Like if, if we had one world government, I agree completely, mining wouldn't work. I mean, it'd be too easy to shut everything down. But we don't live in that world. And we actually live in a world where other governments were like, or jurisdictions were like, hell yeah, you should come here. So let's say the US is the next one to crack down on mining. Iceland's gonna benefit, or Norway's gonna benefit. Or, I mean, I, I just, when you look at the political science dimension of this, I think that mining is extremely resilient, especially in a world where as Bitcoin rises in fiat value, uh, costs to mine go down, and more and more people can mine. I think it's entirely possible that within the decade, you will have people walking into Walmart and buying an ASIC-type device and mining at home. And I think it's very possible that you'll have, like, basically when you buy, like, a heating system for your home in the future, it may act, Bitcoin mining may actually be built into that. So I, I, I think that, if anything, mining is going to make things more resilient, whereas proof-of-stake, as Ethereum increases in fiat value... Especially as, as well, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe Ethereum never moves to proof of stake. It's, it's not clear, but uh, but if it does move to proof of stake, you have a situation where power accrues to the stakers as opposed to the people who aren't, you know, the average, you know, the average user or whatever. So, I, I think that these two things divide, and I, 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 uh, I, I just I'm uncomfortable with that, and um, I think that's not really discussed uh, enough. So, anyway, those are my responses, Peter. Thank you.
1: Do you want to follow up to that, Eric?
0: Yeah. Um, so again, I don't think that mining is a problem as Bitcoin does it. I agree it is very resilient. I'm um, I'm very happy to see how well it has recovered after the China ban. And I agree that it generally can just squish around the world where it needs to, to wherever it is most hospitable. Um, I agree with all that. Uh, at the same time, we haven't actually hit the final boss anywhere close, right? Governments are not yet concerned that their money will be replaced by Bitcoin. They they have hubris that prevents them from thinking that. They have a lack of economic understanding, and they think that fiat currency is superior for some silly reason. We will get to a point in the next 5, 10, 20 years where Bitcoin starts destroying, or at least surviving while fiat destroys itself, and you're going to see a lot of global governments uh, panic. And they will be extremely hostile to Bitcoin. And there could be a point where they try to go after the mining infrastructure. And it's not just one country where it's going after, but like a global coordinated destruction of the Bitcoin network. I think there's a lot of potential for that not to happen, but it could. And if that does, I'm going to be very glad that that we aren't only reliant on proof-of-work blockchains. Again, back to the decentralization perspective, if we want this stuff to be resilient and last for 100 years, different principles being built into these different systems is going to be helpful in that regard. Um, I I think this is one place where we disagree regarding the coercion. Um, I don't think anything that happens in open blockchains is coercive, um, period, Unless there's some kind of fraud going on. Um, So, you know, maybe we just have different definitions there and and we won't agree on that. But um, yeah, I think open source uh, software protocols can't be coercive. I I think that's kind of a. This
1: doesn't work. So, how do you feel about the. Uh, more flexible monetary policy that Ethereum has, and that it does seem to get decided by a smaller group of people. And there may be some influence coming in. I don't know, maybe it's someone like people at consensus, whatever, but there are people who get to benefit uh, from the changes in this monetary policy. How do you feel about that? And it, it doesn't feel like it's, it doesn't feel like to me it happens in the best way, but I can't decide whether that's coercive or not.
0: Yeah, first, it's not coercive. Um, I agree that from a sound money perspective, Bitcoin wins hands down, like hands down. One of the slogans that the Ethereum people have been using recently is this like ultrasound money meme, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah. I'm a thumbs down on that, Mm. right? Like part of being sound money is knowing the monetary policy long-term and Ethereum's is not as knowable as Bitcoins, period, right? Like no, no argument there. Um, again, I think if the question is what is is more conservatively a better money, Bitcoin is easily the answer to that question. That doesn't mean that the entire Ethereum blockchain and everything happening there is worth less, though. It's just different. Um, I hold more value significantly in Bitcoin than I do in Ethereum, and part of that is because Ethereum is riskier. They're making changes to things which are more fundamental than Bitcoin, and. Any person who's looking at that should be should realize that that's riskier, and that's okay. doesn't mean it's bad or wrong, it's just different, and it's more risky than Bitcoin.
2: So I'm, I'm with you on that point.
1: Anything else you want to add, Alex?
2: Yeah, just, I, I mean, I think it's a fair point to disagree. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, open source software can't be coercive. I mean, Bitcoin Cash, Craig Wright's thing, like, all that stuff's open source, yet there's a handful of people who can just change the like arbitrarily change the rules. Uh in many open source blockchains, there's a small group of people who can freeze funds and steal. So in, in an electronic world, there's still it's not like it's not like just because there's no physical violence, you can't have coercion in my this my perspective. In, in an electronic world, you can absolutely still have coercion. And, you know, in fact, I think a lot of coercion is going to be committed online in the future, as opposed to maybe even in the physical world, which is certainly better. Um but I think that theft and debasement are co- are certainly coercive, and um, yeah, I would be I would be concerned about that. But anyway, Peter, yeah, that, that's that's that.
1: Well, I'm just digging up the uh, dictionary definition: the practice of persuading someone to do something by use of force or threats. Yeah. Eric, would you not consider that you could you create financial coercion, like threats of uh, financial implications for not making certain decisions?
0: It depends what the code is is sold as. I mean, I, I agree that um if you rug pull someone or steal their assets or you put in some kind of backdoor, like that that can get into being coercive for sure. But um you know, like Bitcoin Cash uh or or BSV, like I, I have no problem with Bitcoin Cash. I don't own any of it, but I, I think it's a legitimate project. BSV I consider a scam. Um, but even in BSV's case, I don't consider that coercive. It's just a stupid scammy project that I would never own any of. Um, so I, I think we have, you know like these definitions are important and there's nuance to it. but um, there are certainly things that can be bad form or unethical that aren't quite coercive. Um, but all this stuff is is so different than the traditional financial system where there's actual, coercion and like people will be thrown in prison for not doing what the government says um you know as much as i dislike craig Wright, um he's not (laughs) he's not like the government you know so i I put these things in different
1: categories well in my world he's worse than the government right now but that's a that's a different story um (laughs) So another thing Alex uh, talked about was fear of some kind of uh, DeFi systemic collapse that could uh, lead to a lot of damage to people. Now, there is that website, I can't remember what its name is, but it lists all the DeFi rug pulls and all the collapses that have happened and the smart contract hacks. And I know people are always working to improve these things. But it does seem to be a very kind of strange place, this DeFi place, that like, there's some people trying to create some amazing tools for people to have some form of de- new forms of decentralized finance, but also comes with a lot of risk. And my own brother got rug pulled recently um, and uh, lost a little bit of money uh, due to a, a, a project. Alex, do you want to just expand on your point again for Eric and put whatever question it is you have for him?
2: Yeah, so I'm interested in his reflection on, um, basically, in some way, the, let's say the stability of the DeFi system. Like right now, things are great. Like we're in a bull market a lot of juice going around. People are super levered up. Um, we're seeing basically a mutation of the existing legacy financial system, but just in a new kind of way um, That that is arguably, you know, even more financialized, super financialized, we can say. Um, and if you analyze it from that perspective of a money hierarchy, uh, you know, a, a lot... We're talking about a very high debt to to capital ratio here, like insanely high debt to capital ratio. Um, so, what happens when that system goes under stress? Well, it doesn't have a central bank. It's not like they can just, you know, I don't think that that they would just mint mint more of. The, I mean, they, I guess, I guess you could argue they could just mint more USDC or whatever. But um, I, I, I'm curious to see what happens under a stress scenario. Um, and that's where I think that the true nature of these systems will be exposed, uh, as basically you know controlled by a handful of people and sort of like insiders' games, where where the value, overwhelming value accrues to a handful at the expense of others, and and that's hidden during a bull market. Like we can't see that right now. Like that's non that's non obvious at the moment. Um, but 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 we'll see. So anyway, your reflections on. On the money hierarchy in DeFi and, and what happens during potentially a future systemic shock? Yeah. Um good, good question. So, first of all, all this stuff is super risky,
0: right? Everything in DeFi is super, super risky. It is not a mutual fund for your retirement. It's super risky financial technology. And if you are, you know, aping into something and it destroys itself, um, you know, a lot of the blame is on you because you're taking these risks, right? I'm not concerned with leverage. I'm not concerned with um, wealth discrepancies. Um, I'm not concerned with whether VCs are getting more than they should. Those are all those are all aspects of markets, and um, not problems that that I, I don't even know that those are problems, let alone problems that need solving. So if there is a lot of leverage in DeFi, that doesn't bother me. You know, it's a market. That leverage will get cleared out if it's too high. Um, again, what bothers me is coercive government control of money systems and the exclusion of people from these money systems. And what I see in DeFi is the, the, an extension of the beauty that I first saw in Bitcoin, which is this open, borderless money system that the entire world can use on, on an open protocol that anyone can look at, that everyone plays by the same rules and uh, that is available everywhere, and that no one can stop. That's, w- that's what made me fall in love with Bitcoin. DeFi is that same thing. It's just doing it in more expressive ways. And just as there are lots of scams and dangerous pitfalls in DeFi today, there have been lots of scams and dangerous pitfalls in Bitcoin. You know, And there there are people back in the early days of Bitcoin that were just constantly pointing out all the risks. There are still people that do that in Bitcoin. And I think most Bitcoiners know that like, yeah, that that comes with the territory. This is this is frontier technology, um, Eric. So, Eric,
1: can I just yeah. ask: Is there a slight difference there in that the scams within DeFi can be coded into the protocols, whereas the scams within Bitcoin uh, exist outside of the protocol? You can't really code scams into the Bitcoin protocol.
0: That's fair. Uh, that is again why, like any any crypto project, is risky in somewhat proportion to how new it is. Right and how how well it's been code reviewed by other people, any new project in DeFi is by definition far more riskier than the base Ethereum chain, and that itself is riskier than than Bitcoin. Right, you're just going further out on the risk spectrum. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's risky. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. And um, just as there are there were early Bitcoin exchanges that were scams, there are early DeFi projects which are scams the early Bitcoin exchanges that were scams doesn't make Bitcoin a scam. And the DeFi projects, which are scams, doesn't make DeFi a scam. And it's been amazing to me to see the inability of Bitcoiners to, to make that connection when they defend the, against that very same argument when it comes to Bitcoin.
1: I, I think just for me on that one, Eric, it's I feel like I can trust recommending Bitcoin to people. And, Warn them of the scams outside of Bitcoin, but if they buy their coins, they hold uh, they hold their own private keys. They're pretty safe. their Their threat model is different. I would be very nervous, especially some of my friends recommending some of the maybe the DeFi stuff because the threats exist within side the protocol. So they could do everything right, and yeah, you, you should.
2: Yeah, I think if I could, like, I think Eric is acknowledging that, and that's that's yeah. kind of obvious. I mean, we're not here to debate how risky DeFi is. Everybody knows it's risky. Yeah, that's crazy. The, the the thing is, like, when, when I look out around the world around me, and as I, I grew up, I was a, a child first of nine eleven, and then the Great Financial Crisis, and like, I, I, you know, as I tried to make clear to me, the real revolution of Bitcoin is is that in, in many ways it can help fight currency debasement, and that's you know where Eric and I would agree, and I, I, that's ultimately. Its greatest power is separating money from state um, and in uh, allowing people to be their own bank and have financial freedom. I mean, that's that's really key. But to me, it's not the only problem with the world. Um, We think about the great financial crisis and and we can we can talk about how fiat money, you know, engendered it or created it. But there was also the issue of the the private sector um, selling toxic mortgage backed securities to people who didn't really understand these things. And 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 what I'm seeing, and, and that's a problem. And it has nothing to do with libertarianism. I mean, it's a market phenomenon. But I don't view it as good or healthy for society. And um, I I hate to see those things recreated in this new virtual world. And I think they're going to hurt people eventually. So I I I am look people people are free individuals. They can do whatever they want. But I I'm I get worried when people are like, you know without proper education and looking in research where they ape into this stuff thinking that, oh, like, you know, look, obviously the best performing coins in the last year have been meme coins, right? So it's like, okay, they go into Shiba with, with you know, coin or Dogecoin, whatever. I don't think carefully about it. I mean, look, they should have been stacking sats in 10 years. Like, aside from, in my opinion, aside from insiders who have inside deals everybody would have been worth just just stacking Bitcoin. And yet there's this like culture out there of people who are like, no, Bitcoin's like boomer coin. It's boring. It's not going to do anything. It's like a dumb rock. Like you should totally get into all this other stuff. I think there's going to be so much sorrow and regret over that perspective, which is really dominant in the crypto space 10 years from now. I mean, everybody's going to wish they just bought more Bitcoin. I mean, maybe you're fine, Eric, but like <laughs> most of these people are like, I mean, they're just going to get wrecked. And, and right now, it's so hard to see that because we're in this blindingly vivid bull market where everything's fine. And like, people are like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. Bitcoin's boring. I, I just, I, I'm wor- I worry about that. And I feel like that's on us as a space to, to talk more about these things.
1: Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Exodus Wallet who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the Exodus team reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app and you know what, they crushed it. The experience is amazing, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, the football season started. It's been a strange start to the season. Tottenham started well, but obviously they fell apart. Typical Tottenham stuff, and Liverpool are crushing it, but it's a bit tied up there. Other teams are doing very well. Now, listen, with Sportsbet, you've got everything covered. Not only do they cover football, but they support tennis, motorsports, US sports, they even have eSports. And for new customers, there is always a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, then please head over to sportsbet.io, which is S P O R T S B E T. .io. Next up it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen, but with Casa you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again because with Casa's multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones that you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can reach out to me over email or drop me a DM on Twitter. I've been a customer for over a year, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Yeah, how much how much Eric should we be warning people about these types of risks? Um, we will see, uh, I know you'll say this is markets, but we will see... Uh, yeah, VCs, uh, or or is it a hedge fund, Multicoin, I can't remember which they are, but someone like Multicoin heavily promotes uh, something like Solano. Uh, and I know, having spoken to somebody when I was at DAS in London this week, they were at the Solano event in, uh, in w- Lisbon, said it was full of like 19-year-olds being pitched by VCs. Um, and there seems to be this celebration that something like that protocol could uh, flip Bitcoin, but I don't feel like I, there's two things I think problematic with that one is that um, celebrating flipping bitcoin I think is uh, personally I find it morally morally questionable because Bitcoin is actually trying to do something that's like super important for humanity yeah and the second thing I th- find even more concerning is that um the unbelievable returns that some of these venture capital companies can make off these protocols, uh, by getting very, very early. Uh, with, with, I'm sure I've seen some like multi-coin turns, the rumor is 20 million to a couple of billion. I'm not sure what it is, but something along those lines. They get to essentially a seed round an IPO at the same stage without even achieving product market fit. I find that problematic, but I'm sure you're going to say that's markets.
0: I don't find that problematic unless they are being uh, deceptive or lying. Um I think they have every right to make their bet on Solana and to talk about the virtues of Solana. Um, Solana has gotten large, it has a lot of usage and it might become a big thing. I don't own any Solana. I don't I don't wanna take that bet personally, but I don't think it's wrong for other people to disagree and have a different opinion. Um, the people that are betting on the wrong things over the long term will lose, That's that's markets. And I don't mind, people making gazillions of dollars in open, transparent markets. Like th- these are the most transparent markets that humanity has ever had. I mean, it, it should be praised. And um, I just, I can't find myself getting upset at people risking their own money and capital on projects that they they believe in. Now, again, the line is fraud, right? If people are defrauding others or lying or cheating or stealing, that's different. But a lot of this is not that. And I think there's this perception that like, all these other coins just go to zero or that, they haven't, um, that they've only benefited VCs. I mean, if you actually look at the, the math of all, all ICOs, all token sales, and their prices today, it's not like they've made a little bit of money for retail. Like, this has been the greatest wealth creation for retail investors, in certainly in my lifetime, probably ever. And the fact that, uh, that some VCs are making a bunch of money on it as well, like, okay, but com- compare this to what? Like the traditional financial world where only Wall Street is making a bunch of money? At least now, like, everyone has these open protocols and they can put their money where they think is important. A lot of people will absolutely get wrecked. And people need to realize that, like, buying Shiba Inu is dumb unless you're just trying to gamble. And there's nothing wrong with gambling. Um, and and none of that makes any of those things, you know, better or worse than Bitcoin. They're just different. And and I wish Bitcoiners weren't so afraid of that happening, you know, on the periphery of Bitcoin.
2: I, I think what we're afraid of is people getting confused and, 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 well, scammed, and certainly in some cases, as you would agree that some of these things are scams. But defrauded is an interesting word. What irritates me is like these VCs who are pitching Web3 Ugh. as if it's going to be this beautiful thing that's going to give freedom to everybody. No, like all these things that these VCs are pitching, they're going to control. They're going to have complete control on the back end of the whole system. And they're pitching it as if, as if this is going to be some human revolution. Like, how do you feel about that? That doesn't upset you at all?
0: Um, tell, tell me more what you mean when you say they have control of these things.
2: M- meaning that they're based on protocols where the governance is that, they own. They get to make the decisions, not other people. Like for example, let's say let's look at um, a building block of the of the ecosystem. Something like the uh, die or maker. I mean, Anderson Horowitz ha- has a has a very large stake in the governance of that project. And when they team up with the other VCs that are in that project, they can control the fate of that project. And and yet, like that's an example of of, of, of one of many. Of projects that they're pushing, saying that like this is going to create a new internet that where Facebook doesn't have the power, where Google doesn't have the power, like in Web two, but where you, the user, have the power. I just think this is disingenuous because the user is not going to have the power, and they're not going to own the governance, and they're just going to be users. And there may be benefits, but I think it's I, I, I think it's extremely disingenuous.
0: Let's explore this. So okay. let's talk about Maker specifically. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that you believe? Um, Andreessen Horowitz and/or a handful of VCs own more than fifty percent of the Maker token. Uh, I know they own a plurality. I don't know if it's a majority. Well, those are very different things. A plurality might mean five percent. I mean, th- this is this is an important point.
2: Last time I looked at it, it was between thirty and like forty-five percent between like three firms. But I haven't. I, to be honest, I haven't looked in a little while. Okay, and I, I don't I don't know the specific numbers either. Um, I mean, look, I'll say this. And, and you know that most people don't vote, right? So what ends up happening on those systems is a, a lot of the token, the smaller people don't even pick. I mean, look, people own the maker governance coin just to make just as a speculative asset, not to use it. So what ends up yeah. happening is like, yeah, sure, they only have 30, 45 percent. But when it comes down to voting day, it's just like a democracy. Nobody fucking votes. So so they get to make the decision. So that's what I'm worried about. Yes, I, I'm very worried about that kind of stuff happening.
0: Well, why are you worried about people with tokens making decisions with the tokens they own?
2: Because I don't want us to recreate Web two. I, I I I want people to be sovereign and free, and I don't want us to be slaves to VCs, just as much as I wouldn't want them to be slaves to governments. I mean, so
0: how 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 is someone who uses Maker, um, for example, I use Maker mm-hmm. uh, as a user. I own Dai. I hold mm-hmm. some as a stablecoin. Um, I don't participate in the voting, but I could if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, I, I I fail to see the harm here, right? Like if if I feel like the governance of the maker protocol goes in a bad direction, I can sell my coins and stop using it, or I can make arguments on the internet of why it should go in a different direction. I mean, to me, that is just open, messy markets being markets. That doesn't bother me at all. And, and I don't think it's fair to characterize that as people being slaves to VCs. That seems very unfair.
2: Sure, then they shouldn't call it decentralized. I mean, that my, my point is in the disingenuousness of them claiming that it's going to be different. Um, I have no problem. I mean, like, stocks are great. Like, people should be able to come together in a free market and do whatever they want. M- my problem is in the messaging that these protocols are pitched as somehow decentralized and beyond government control and all this other stuff. And I just, it's not true. And that's gonna that's gonna come back to haunt people at some point.
1: I can add so, some commentary on me. Maker here. So I've just dug mm-hmm. it up that um, it was that A sixteen Z invested fifteen million and got a discount on the tokens. Uh, Melton comments on this uh, according to a blog post. The fifteen million will be used to fund the next three years of operating costs. I'm sure people think this is a great sign for the project, being able to recruit high quality capital. But I think this is a massive failure in governance and project management. No vote was conducted on this matter, despite governance being a core tenant of the project. Perhaps even more troublesome is the 6% stake now in the hands of A16Z crypto appears to have simply been created out of thin air. It is possible it came from 39% held by DAI Foundation, which ostensibly existed to fund development efforts. But whether it represents new tokens or a shift in control ownership, it did occur at the behest of a few, not many. And while Maker is supposed to be created as needed for recapitalization under the aforementioned collateral shortfalls, it is not, uh, under its original conception, meant to be created to raise funds for development. What should concern folks is that the promise here of a transparent, transparent governance, but this looks anything but. And given that the stable stablecoin relies on Maker for its very stability, some skepticism is warranted.
2: Yeah, and like, again, Eric, love to hear what you have to say, but Maker literally markets itself, the MKR token, as a decentralized autonomous organization for the DAI stablecoin. Obviously, it's not. So is that is that, I mean, it's clearly, dis- I don't know if it's fraud, but it's clearly disingenuous. Like, it's definitely not a DAO. Like, it's not some sort of, like, it's <laughs> it's not different from any other, you know, fiat, like, existing power structure. I, 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 I just have issues here.
0: The the last statement is... is- Definitely wrong um, to say that it is not any different than traditional fiat power structures. Um, first of all, we have to we have to acknowledge that like these things exist on a spectrum of decentralization, right? And Alex, mm-hmm. can you agree with that? Like decentralization is not an either or; it's it's a spectrum and a multivariate spectrum. Is that can you agree with that?
2: Um, yes, but it's yes. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. I agree. Okay. I don't. By the way.
0: So, I mean, I I think if someone wants to make the case that any particular project, maker or anything else, is not sufficiently decentralized for what it's purporting to be, mm-hmm. they, they can make that argument and they can express that view in the marketplace by not owning the token or by shorting the token or convincing others to do the same. And I don't think there's anything wrong with tokens moving into the centralized spectrum or into the decentralized spectrum. They're just different, and everyone can express their opinion on that however they wish. Is it messy? Yeah. Will people lose money because they made the wrong bet? Yeah, but that's that's markets, and I, that, just, that just doesn't bother me. The reason it's so different than traditional Web 2 is that these are borderless systems, and the participants of any of these systems at any given time are fluid. Right? So you look at Facebook, which is headquartered in the U.S., closed source, and it has a specific cap table of its investors, at least up until it went public. And you compare that with something like Maker, which is global, which is certainly more decentralized than Facebook, I would argue much more, um, which provides an important market service, a, decentral- a relatively decentralized stablecoin as an alternative to tether, which requires like money in an actual fiat bank somewhere. We hope a super important innovation that the market has liked. I mean, I, I see that as an improvement. Now, is it as decentralized as Bitcoin? Of course not. Is it a better money than Bitcoin? Of course not. Is it perfect or without risk? No. And all sorts of people will lose money based, you know, making the wrong bets on this stuff. But I, I see this cauldron of experimentation as so important and so valuable. And this is how markets build and iterate. It's not through like designing everything to be perfect. it's this messy process, and over time the markets sort it out
2: okay, I guess i my, my my just to conclude that section, I feel like there's a lot of disingenuous marketing that will lead people to get um that will mislead people just 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 as they just as they would convince you to to get it you know an adjustable mortgage or. None of these things were illegal at the time, um, or or just as they would convince you as a pension fund or as a municipality in Iceland to to buy these amazing, you know, mortgage-backed, you know, securities. Like I I have, I have moral problems with them that that are that are outside of just a pure. It's a free for all. So that that's probably you know what differentiates us is I have more of that progressive. uh, Here's the (laughs) the major difference.
0: Here's the major difference. If Maker blows up. Yeah, it's gone. It's it's a market actor that goes away. There's no bailout. Like that You don't think the
2: open uh, I don't know about that. I mean, so USDC, Circle, now it's changed, it just flipped, but for for half this year, the entire ecosystem was more than half supported by um, by USDC. You don't think you you don't think Circle will get a bailout? I think they'll definitely get a bailout from the US government if they go under. You don't think they'll get a bailout just like Amazon got a bailout and all these other corporations get a bailout from the US?
0: I don't know. I I would hope not. Um why well, would I can assure you they will. Uh there's no why wouldn't. They? I I feel like we we slightly changed the subject here. We were talking about maker. No, but right? maker is you...
2: reliant on is as of as of 3 weeks ago, it was more than half of of maker's of dai's liquidity was reliant on USDC. Sure. So let's say um something happens and like the, the company that mints USDC could go to the U.S. government. It's it's all it's what I'm trying to say is it's all part of the system. Still, we haven't left the system. It's just a mutation of the existing financial system. U, USDC not, not has not left
0: the system. Yeah, I mean, US USDC is just fiat
2: stablecoin
0: backed Correct. by dollars and banks, right? I, it doesn't. And it
2: doesn't concern you that these decentralized systems rely on USDC as this liquidity. That's not a problem. This
0: is where the nuance is important. These are mm-hmm. these are not all the same systems. There are stable coins that are extremely centralized, like Tether or USDC. Sure. There are stable coins that are partly centralized, something like Maker. Mm-hmm. And then there's even more newer cutting-edge stable coins, which are algorithmic, like like the Terra stable coin or like the Haven private stable coin, right? Mm-hmm. So the nuance is important here. The specific attributes of a given project matter. And the market has to suss this stuff out, right? No one's claiming that USDC is some decentralized uh, system.
1: Eric, yeah. how, you, you said earlier, and it was something I actually disagree with, this idea of uh, uh, decentralization being a spectrum. I've always felt that that is a shield for things that aren't. Let's, um, let's mean, talk about it. Yeah, so I I, I always <laughs> want to think, is, is something meaningfully decentralized? And is it directionally becoming more decentralized or centralized? So I felt always felt like something I like about Bitcoin is that there is a constant conversation about the decentralization of Bitcoin, whether it's mining, mining pools, developers. I mean, the idea that Brink was created by John Newbery is because so much of the development was in the U.S. It was like, okay, we can build a development base and resource here in the U.K. And uh, you know, every every the conversation about decentralization never leaves Bitcoin, and it feels like every aspect of Bitcoin, anyone is involved, is always thinking about ensuring it's as maximally decentralized. I don't feel like that's something I experience with other protocols and Ethereum especially. It feels like Ethereum has just becomes more and more centralized. And the Alan Farrington paper uh, identifies a number of risks that come with that. In that, in that, it because it's not meaningfully decentralized, it most likely if the you talked before about if governments came for the mining farms, actually coming mm-hmm. for the uh, the full archival nodes that exist within data centers would actually be you know relatively straightforward so when you think of decentralization as a spectrum it is something i've always struggled with i actually have always preferred the ideas like directionally where is it heading and it feels like a lot of these protocols just become more centralized over time in some ways the reason solana is you know getting gaining ground on uh, ethereum is because it has become more centralized in ethereum to solve some of their scaling issues like how do you feel about that so
0: you're using these relative words like more or directional, um, yeah. which is because it is relative. I mean, decentralization is, is relative. Bitcoin today is more decentralized than it was on day one. Ethereum today is more decentralized than it was on day one. Ethereum today is more decentralized than Bitcoin was on Bitcoin's day one.
1: But right? is Ethereum more decentralized now than it was two years ago?
0: That's a fair question to debate. But by debating that question, you're already acknowledging that it is a spectrum.
1: No, I'm, what I'm accepting is that day one, something isn't particularly decentralized because it's new and it will go through a process of decentralizing, but then reality bites and decisions or trade-offs are made. And that's why I'm saying, like, directionally now, really, where's it headed?
0: That's, that's a fair, it's a fair question to debate, right? I, I wish that was the discussion. Like, um, instead, of, instead of the maximalist saying, Ethereum isn't decentralized instead of that having actual discussions about what are the factors of ethereum's structure which are more or less decentralized than they should be and and how can that be better or worse That's an absolutely fair conversation to have
2: mm-hmm.
0: but to say that something is not decentralized just because it is not as decentralized as bitcoin um i think is is disingenuous
2: I think that that it's look it's semantics uh and and Yes, like um, bit, like we could look at like pre, pre-cryptocurrencies, like like BitTorrent or like the Tor Project, or we could have arguments about these things and how decentralized they are, right? Like I, I, I 100% agree, it's a spectrum. I think the question is just, which ones are decentralized enough to survive the state attack when it comes? And yeah. I think that you and I, Eric, both agree it's coming at some point. It, it already came for some people in some countries, right? Um, it, it's going to come uh, in different aspects, in different countries at different times. Um, I think that we would probably disagree on the on the proof of work piece, because what I'm my reading of the game theory is that it's less likely that all these governments try to kill Bitcoin. And it's more likely that you see more El Salvador's say, hey, we actually have a lot to gain from just adopting Bitcoin. So I think that that's really interesting to me. But when it comes to these Proof of Stake projects, which Ethereum is trying, is, is you know, let's assume that they'll get there in the next two years. Um, I mean, it, it, it concerns me that that they won't be able to survive uh, the, the, the state attack, and that they're they're yeah, going to be not. even 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 before then that they can be manipulated, right? And I, I think that this goes back to probably where I sense our our main disagreements are. There are probably two. One is around this idea of coercion, and I absolutely think that like currency debasement, even in an open source currency still coercion uh, if, it, if someone else is making that decision for you. I get it. You can, like, leave the system and not get thrown in jail. So that's where one I, disagreement is. Can I ask, is. do, yeah, you, do you
0: think it's coercion if the, if the rules and the code permit it? Like, like, Bitcoin's code was very clear. There is mm-hmm. this limit of 21 million established by this, uh, this decay function of the supply. That's been there from the beginning. Um, other coins don't have that same promise. So is it so if they change their money supply, is that still coercion? I mean, you can say it's
2: less valuable as money, and I would agree, but mm-hmm. it, would you call that coercion? I mean, if a small group of people are gonna make a decision that a whole bunch of other people are gonna have to live with that they don't like, yeah, I would say it's But coercion.
0: that's that's not how it works in any blockchain. No group of people have to run any
2: software that they don't want to run. That's not true with hard forks. That's not true though. Like what like what I mean, let's that's, talk about that. Yeah. So, right? so go ahead. Yeah, Let's talk about, like, the Ethereum hard fork. So, mm-hmm. um, Like, if you don't want to go to proof-of-stake, what are your options? You're going to be on what? Well, how's that going to work for you if, when that shift happens? So, just as in Bitcoin, if mm-hmm. there are any group of people that want to run a
0: different version of the code, they can do it. Whether it's one guy in his basement that wants to run his own chain version, or whether it's 49% or 80%, it doesn't matter. When there is a disagreement and people run incompatible software... They fork apart, and they're both running what they want to run. Neither side can make the other run anything that they don't want. Ethereum Classic, you know, lived on and is a little bit of a zombie chain right now, but it had, a, it had a go for a little while. And the people that really didn't like Ethereum's hard fork just kept on with the same rules. There was no coercion. They didn't steal any of their ETC coin. Like, that was the Ethereum that they had five days prior. And all that happened was that they ended up on the side of the fork that the market didn't prefer to go with. So they ended up losing out relative to the fork that the market didn't I don't think that
2: was a market decision, but um, it may may have aligned. I mean, clearly it was a political decision. I mean, look, you can argue that the U.S. currency, you can argue that the world wanted dollar hegemony because of the emergence of the euro dollar and all these other things. But at the end of the day— like it, it was a market. It was a political decision that the U.S. government made to force everybody to use it. I mean, you're seeing but, a but similar that's phenomenon. Not at all, with these. That's
0: not at all how Ethereum works. Ethereum
2: is not imprisoning people or murdering. I, people. I didn't say that. I said there's a difference between market a market incentive to do something and a political decision to do something. Um, the, the, like it, it is absolutely going to be up to a small group of people to determine the monetary policy of Ethereum in the future. It's not going to be a vote. Uh, and a lot of it's going to be imposed. And if you don't like it, you're going to have to split off. And th- obviously, that chain's not going to make it. Right. So I, I just feel like that's true that with is, Bitcoin,
0: too. That's yeah, true with Bitcoin. Let's, yeah. But the let, users control Bitcoin. Let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. But the users control if, Bitcoin. If, um, if tomorrow,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, 60% of Bitcoin users wanted to change the money supply to 22 million. Right. If that Mm -hmm. was the case, a hard fork is going to happen and the two chains are going to go off and people can use one or both or neither. And that is no more or less political than Ethereum. Like if there's a consensus breaking rule, the chain will split and you, you have both halves and you can do whatever you want with. That's not that's not political. That is market based. It's every actor, whether they're a node, a miner or a user or an economic holder of the asset, they make their own decision.
2: I don't think so. I guess I would just disagree. Like in, in Bitcoin it's not a, it's not actually a vote. I describe it as democratic, but but it's not really a vote. like, like you run your you choo- you as an individual sovereign get to choose which software to run and which blocks to accept and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's not the case in Ethereum. Like you don't why? you don't why? Because because well, in Bitcoin, the the monetary policy is not something that like a small group of people can just change. And in Ethereum, it is. In fact, it will be. We don't, know, we don't even know what I, it's going to be.
0: I could change the, the code in my Bitcoin client, and I would fork yeah, off but the no network. Yeah, no one's going to run it.
2: No one's going to run it. No one else is going to run it.
0: Correct, because everyone gets to make their own decision.
2: Yeah, okay, well, I
0: guess we just disagree on that one. But, but what do you disagree with? That, that fact is true in Bitcoin. I could change the number to 22 million in my own code tomorrow, and I'll fork off the network, and no one's going to use it because mm-hmm. they're all not going to make that choice. And I could do the same thing with Ethereum.
2: I mean there's fundamental there are lots of differences between these two systems, but that is not one of them. Okay, so if the Ethereum Foundation and the people and the devs make a decision, um, and they move the project in a, in a direction and they impose a hard fork. I mean what do you, I mean, anyone who tries to go against that is just going to lose their money. I mean the 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 new ethereum they create is going to lose. There's no risk of that happening in bitcoin. These are very very different and that should be very clear to the people listening. Like that, that this Why is, is there no risk of that in bitcoin? Because that's the way bitcoin operates. There is no small group of people who can make a decision on behalf of everybody else. We learned this through the whole segwit 2x debacle. Like it's it, like it's not just because you have a lot of power doesn't mean you can change the rules.
0: Just That's, because you have
2: a lot of power in Ethereum does mean you can change the rules. Okay, here, That's very, yeah, very, very, di- very, very important.
0: Here's where we disagree. Okay. Um, in both Bitcoin and Ethereum and any of these blockchains, everyone has autonomy and sovereignty over their own software. This is true universally, right? And when there are two groups of people, whether it's 1% and 99% or 49 and 51%, who have consensus-breaking difference in their opinion on what software to run, you will get a hard fork. And what the market does after that is up to the market. Sometimes the hard fork becomes the dominant chain, such as in Ethereum's case. The hard fork was what the market preferred, and that is now what we call Ethereum. In, in Bitcoin, it has had hard forks. And the market didn't prefer that chain, right? So you have Bitcoin Cash, which has never been able to live up to what Bitcoin has achieved. But the fundamental um, dynamic here, where where two groups will split apart from each other in a chain like that, that is a fundamental principle of blockchains, and it is no sure. different. Sure, I'm not in arguing Ethereum. against
2: that. I'm just saying that the decision making in Ethereum is political, not market driven. Uh, what,
0: what does that mean? I, I it really, means I want to
2: understand it's what it's political mean. it, political meaning that a group of a politic, a body of people will make the decision for other people and they'll be forced to comply, which is something so here's I'm, would, I'm not, I don't like that. Here's I mean, what would happen. Cool.
0: In yeah. Ethereum, if the Ethereum Foundation wanted to change a rule, they can propose that out to the community, right? They can say, here's what we want to choose. Here's what we want to change. Here's why. All the miners will decide if they want to run that software or not. All the users will decide if they want to run that software or not. And all the holders of ETH will decide if they want to hold that version of the token or not. Same thing in Bitcoin, right? The Bitcoin core development team could propose a change and they could say, here's what we want to do and here's why. And every node operator in Bitcoin, every holder of Bitcoins, and every miner can make their own decision on whether they run that software. Hey, Rick, you're, the only reason you're calling it political on Ethereum side is because you don't like the Ethereum folks. But in both cases... <laughs> it's no, it's
2: definitely not true. It's, it's a... Why, why is like, that... Why is there's that political? A, there's a scientific difference. The monetary policy does not change in Bitcoin and it changes all the time in Ethereum. This is a this is a history in well, reality. That's a different a reality. Well, hold on. That's I know, but that's that's everything that matters is right there. Is the rules of the system. That's 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 what matters.
1: Alex, I think you're talking par- past each other in in that I think Eric is talking correct technically in what happens. Your point is more uh uh about the flexible monetary policy and why that isn't a good thing. Um But it's not just the
2: monetary policy, though. It's not anything. Any any rule of the system. I don't disagree.
1: But what I was going to put to Eric, sorry, what I was going to put to you with this is there here actually, whilst you're technically correct, is there a cultural difference here in that? Most Bitcoiners run a node. You run a node. Alex, run a node. I've got four nodes here, two operational. And like, we really care about this. So when a decision is going to be made, we know it affects the node we run. Whereas I don't really know anyone who runs an uh, Ethereum node. I'm sure there are the occasional person. But not, there is, yeah, of course you do. But you need to, You, you know, based on the business you have, you need to understand it. But I'm just, I'm saying there isn't, really a culture of running a node? Like, if I go to if I go and have a beer with Matt O'Dell, and if I wasn't running a node, he would lose his shit with me. And the community lost their shit with me because I didn't have a node for years. There's this this thing, it's like, buy your Bitcoin, manage your private keys, run a node. That isn't a culture that really exists within Ethereum. So do you think therefore, it maybe is a little easier for the Ethereum foundation to get decisions through because of that?
0: Yes. And I think all of that is fair. There's absolutely a cultural difference between the Ethereum world and the Bitcoin world.
1: That's the difference.
0: That is, that is the culture of those human communities. That is not a difference between how forks work or consensus rules work. And that's an important distinction.
2: Right? I, I, I guess to be fair, I, I'll, I'll say that a lot of this is semantics and maybe politics is the wrong word, but I'm trying to describe like what has happened and, and what I've observed. And what may happen in the future? and the reality is that some seventy percent of the sixty-seven, more than two-thirds of the synced Ethereum nodes are hosted, you know, on some cloud server. And and as Peter's pointing out, there is a cultural difference, and that matters. Sure. I mean, just as much as the technical stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: There is also Alex a process difference I've noticed as well. With you know, Bitcoin, someone would someone wanted to increase it to twenty-two million coins. They would uh, uh, discuss it with people. They would submit a BIP. It would be discussed and probably rejected very early on. Whereas the Ethereum Foundation, as a group, tend to pitch ideas as a group of people in a closed room. They have their phone calls. I know this because I had the conversation with Lane Retic. He was on the Ethereum Foundation. explained it to me. So it it feels like there's a group of people who try and uh, decide behind closed doors what the future direction of Ethereum is and then, then puts it out to a community. Whereas Bitcoin, I, I think, is more individual. I'm not yeah, saying but, it's right or wrong, yeah. but, but that's what, something whole, of difference, I think. The
0: whole closed-door thing is funny when it comes to blockchains. Like, nothing is behind closed doors. When it actually comes to proposing things to communities, everything is open. And people use that phrase, closed doors, to, like, you know, vilify groups that try to talk before they present something. Um, I, I don't think that's fair. And, and if you want to say that the culture of Ethereum is different, that the culture of Ethereum doesn't care as much about a hard money policy. You're absolutely right, right? This is why Ethereum is more risky and is a worse form of base money than than Bitcoin. And I'll agree with that all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what else is different culturally in Ethereum is this idea of like rapid innovation. And it is because of that that we have some really amazing tools in the Ethereum community that don't exist in the Bitcoin world. This house that I'm in, I bought with a loan from DeFi. I didn't use a single bank. Bitcoin never provided me that ability. Right? I, I think that's important. I think it's it's amazing that DeFi has now enabled me to borrow money against a protocol that's open source without using a single bank. I think that's that's profound. And Bitcoin didn't deliver that to me. That doesn't mean Bitcoin's worse, it just means it's different.
2: And I so, I wish what, the, so the, what money did the person so that you bought the house from somebody they and they accepted what no what? so i so i i put up eth in ave which is a defi
0: protocol i borrowed usdc out of ave and mm. then i used usdc to convert it into a bank and then bought the house but the the loan came against collateral without any banks involved right so i just pull out stablecoin against the asset eth and bought the house that's super cool and and how can anyone who is like pro decentralization and and wants to actually see a Financial system that is not operated by central banks and fiat. How can you, they look into that world of DeFi and, and think anything other than like, wow, this is really profound and, and amazing? I mean, because um, you just could have sold the ETH and bought the house and for had dollars. a tax and had a tax event. Okay, but the- I, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to give a million dollars to the government. I'm morally opposed to that. Ethereum and smart contracts prevented me from giving a million dollars to the government.
1: You just bought a five Fact. million dollar house.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, okay, fair enough. You, you get my point. Right? I recognize like, That is
2: utility to me, both economic utility and that I didn't lose the money. And I didn't mean to imply that there is no utility in the space. Uh, I never said that. And um, I, I, w- what I do believe is that activity you just described will be, I think, what's underappreciated is how much that's going to, in my opinion, come into Bitcoin over the coming decade. Uh, I, I've got a question on that.
1: Alex, just yeah, go while ahead. you think about it. Yeah. So, I agree that does sound kind of cool. Um, I'm in the process of buying a house right now. I have some Bitcoin uh, to get the house I want. I probably need to sell a bit for, yeah, you know, sadly, and I don't really want to, and I'm trying to avoid it. But if I could easily just borrow against that Bitcoin and buy the house, that that would be that would be amazing. But my question to you is: the, the chain of companies or things involved in that process allowed you to do that. How many of those, if the SEC wanted to uh, take out enforcement action against, could they? And and, and the bigger question, therefore, as I'm asking is, is there a risk that all this stuff ends up becoming regulated and they just become new types of companies? And therefore, they aren't really decentralized. Um,
0: (laughs) The Aave smart contract cannot be turned off. The Uniswap V2 smart contract cannot be turned off. So, you know, <laughs> good luck, SEC. I mean, they,
2: they can't turn these off at all. Um, and until, no, they, until could, they— But, but they, could, they could cause trouble for the Ave team, and more importantly, like, the, the, the you used sure. USDC was essential for you to do this, and that's sure, obviously— Sure, but, it,
0: but it, it doesn't need to be USDC. I just used that because that was most convenient at the time, right? Like, let's, let's say the SEC destroys USDC. What would I have done? I would have taken out a loan in a different stablecoin— in in Dai or in UST or in Haven or something, I mean th- this is the anti fragility that I am talking about. And when it comes to like this DeFi stuff versus regulators, I'm going to be betting on
2: DeFi the whole time, just as I've been betting on Bitcoin this whole so, time. Wait, so wait, so what's like what's one of the more innovative, uh, most decentralized stablecoins in your like that you could have used instead of USDC, for example? In your I mind. think
0: the... I think the most decentralized stablecoin with a significant market cap is, is the Terra USD stablecoin, UST. And, you, and your bank would have given you dollars for that? No, what I would have done is pull out UST, UST, and then I would have done an OTC trade with a number of OTC brokers I know to get dollars against yeah.
2: it. No, I got it. I just, what Peter and I are getting at is that th- there is a step there that requires a centralized regulated thing for you to get the house. Um, I, I hope we I hope we live to, to see this day. It's not perfect yet. No, it's right? No, yet. but but yeah, and, and look, it is a big scientific breeding ground. There's no question, um, and I hope to see a lot of that innovation come to Bitcoin. And in fact, I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to. I think within sure. 36 months, I'm going to be able to download a free and open source Bitcoin wallet and peg a non custodial amount of value to the U.S. dollar. And I think that's going to change a lot of things. And we're going to see a lot of the activity that has happened in the current DeFi space. Come into that, and I think I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, and that is fine, but I, I, I think that the, uh, the 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 reason why we're having this conversation was from a was a comment that I think you made on a thread uh, that I was involved with Raul Paul, where we were talking about like returns basically for people, and I have the thread think- here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that would be interesting for us to sort of conclude with is that, um, I think we clearly have, there's been debates in this conversation about control and coercion, and there's been debates about what's right and wrong and, you know, what is, where we want to see society in the future and what we can just leave up to the market. And I think the listener can, different listeners are going to have different lessons from that stuff. I think that's fine. But at the end of the day, like, I, I think what we're what brought us together was this idea of this debate over returns, right? And you know, clearly in the current bull market, these altcoins have totally crushed Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, meme coins, most—I mean, I think you're 750x up if, if you were in Shiba, you know, a year ago. Yep. So, question is, um, what does that mean that these uh, that these literal joke coins are the best performing asset of this space and in a world where in the future um people like me believe that Bitcoin will start to eat into things like gold and real estate, um, and government debt, like what why what why wouldn't they also start to eat into uh these other cryptos? Or like how, how do you see that um dynamic play out? I, I would be what I'd like love to hear you talk about.
0: Yeah. Um I think the shorter your time frame, the more noisy things are, right? And so while Shiba Inu is like the best performing asset of the year, that doesn't mean much other than like that that gamble has paid off, right? I'm not going to go bet on Shiba Inu over the next 20 years, but I'll bet on Bitcoin over the next 20 years. I'll bet mm-hmm. on Ethereum over the next 20 years. Um, so I think you have to be careful of like, you know, let, just let the noise happen. That's not what matters. What matters is which assets will provide, you know, strong returns over a very long time frame. And the vast majority of crypto assets won't. They'll fail because the vast majority of new projects fail. The vast majority of startups fail. And that's okay. That's called innovation and and iteration. Um, This idea that everything ends up on Bitcoin was one that I believed back in 2012 and 2013. And just empirically, I have acknowledged that that doesn't seem to be happening. Now, will that trend change? Maybe. I'm open minded. Again, you know, I I own more Bitcoin than any other asset by far. So if it all ends up back on Bitcoin, like, you know, cool, my bags are higher. But empirically, that's not what's happening. And people should understand that these blockchains are like engineering machines. They make trade-offs. The trade-offs that Bitcoin has made make it not as great for smart contracts, but it makes it much better as base money. The trade-offs that Ethereum have made have, have, have caused it to be like this breeding ground for innovation, but it's also far more risky and no one quite knows like where the money supply will be in a year or two, right? Less good as base money, but more good as a innovation ground. I can appreciate both of these things as separate and they're both important in the fight against actual like state-based coercive money. Um, So I'm just open-minded to it, you know, and I don't know where the future is going. I just know that this technology is like amazing and inspiring every day. And that started with Bitcoin, but it didn't end there.
1: Do you want any final comments, Alex?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I got into the space through human rights advocacy. Um, I've seen the impact Bitcoin has made around the world. I, I've seen the, the, the other asset, ironically, that, that, that has a meaningful impact that I've been charting or noticing is Tether, um, which is obviously... <laughs> very few people want to defend Tether. Um, I will. Yeah, maybe maybe you will. Um, I have to, simply because I've seen lots of Lebanese and Palestinians rely on it because they can't get dollars any other way. Um, That being said, I know Tether is a time bomb waiting. You know, I know that it's lasted longer than everybody thought. I mean, I actually was three years ago with one of the creators of it and they were like, it's not going to last more than a couple more years. (laughs) Like, so it even exceeded that person's expectations. Um, So I, I think that we're in a transitionary phase where Tether at least to me has proven a humanitarian use case, Um, but not a lot else. Um, And and I I think that the number of people benefiting, and I know this doesn't matter to you. I mean, that's quite clear. It's like, and I don't want to say that, look, if someone does really well, that's fantastic. I think that's great. I think where maybe I differ is that I worry about the influence that can have on politics and on power. And I don't think it's just a matter of separating money from state. I also think it's a matter of like protecting the individual from other kinds of dominant power, um, which in an electronic, in a fully electronic world may actually be more powerful than, uh, than the, the, the traditional kind of armies that we think about. So, you know, I just want people to be eyes open as we move forward, understand, and I, I appreciate and thank you for pointing out the, the risks involved in, in DeFi again, everybody's having a great time right now, 100%. There's no question. Um, But where you really see how these things are made is when when the systems come under stress. So we will see. Um, But I would just caution folks to just do their homework and be careful and to not assume that the market conditions that exist now that are honestly like irrationally exuberant market conditions... Um, we'll we will will concede, will proceed forever. I think that's unsustainable. And I think that in general, for most people, Bitcoin is a better, is a better thing to learn about and spend their time on. Um, in 10 years, I think they'll be more grateful they did so. And it's kind of frustrating to watch people get like roped into these other things, which honestly a lot of people are going to lose money on. Uh, but hey, it's, you know, everybody's personal responsibility and I, I do appreciate that side of what you're saying, Eric. Um, but, a lo- yeah, again, a lot of my frustrations with the crypto space is that I feel like it's it ends up being an insider's game and too many people are getting taken advantage of. And it reminds me a lot of what happened in the existing financial system. Um, so I just wish there was like more, more conversation around that. But I, I appreciate you having us on, Peter. Thank you.
1: No, no worries. I appreciate both of you. Got to know you both very well over the last few years and love hanging out with you, love talking about this stuff. Uh, Eric, do you want any final words or were your previous words your final words?
0: No, that's all good. I, You know, to, uh, Alex's um, warning that people need to recognize that we are in a bubble uh, is absolutely true. Um, crypto is highly speculative and people need to go into this stuff with eyes wide open. If someone is new, the first thing they should learn about is Bitcoin and understand why it's here, why it's important, why it's great money. And they don't need to like venture beyond that until they understand those, those fundamentals. But I think upon understanding the fundamentals, you can start to find value elsewhere. Um, and so I, I appreciate you having me on, Alex. This was a, a great discussion. Yeah. Um, thanks for all your points. And, you know, thank, thank you for all you're doing for freedom. You know, ultimately, you. I think we agree on a lot more than we disagree. So good to chat. 100%.
1: Thank you, both of you. Uh, I've uh, taken a lot from this. Eric, I always find you come with compelling arguments, things that I struggle to argue against. And I think one of the realizations I've come to with this is, is really that uh, you're a markets guy and you want the markets to figure these things out. And you know, if people are... Heard in the process. Hopefully, we warn them. But if they lose money, like this, this is what happens with the markets. But you would rather markets figure it out than governments. And I think Alex, I'm probably a little bit closer to you. And like I appreciate a lot what libertarians stand for. I think theoretically, it all sounds brilliant. I'm I'm a bit more like you. I'm I'm still a reluctant status, and I still reluctantly believe in democracy uh, for all its flaws. Uh, But I also don't like the nanny state telling us what we should put our money in and what we shouldn't because that comes down to where we are in the UK, where it's very hard to buy even Bitcoin, let alone any other cryptocurrency. So it's a a really tricky area. It's a good area to debate. I think you both came with good arguments. Uh, Love you both. Appreciate you both coming on. And I think people will get a lot from this. And I don't need to tell people where to find you because I think everyone knows you too. So we won't worry about that. Hopefully, I'll see you both in person soon. Alex, uh, I've seen you recently. I'll see you again soon. I'm not sure when I'm going to see you next, Eric, but it's been a little bit too long. So uh, Miami, maybe?
0: Definitely Miami. Well, we'll see you yeah. then. Awesome. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks, Bye everybody.
1: Guys. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, you want to reach out to me, the best thing to do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at did.com. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Okay, see you all very, very soon.